In this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, I am going to share my thoughts on the wealth of talent and NBA prospects playing for the G League Ignite this season. I am curious to see how they figure this out because there's so much talent, so many overlapping skill sets, but I'm gonna share my thoughts on the top NBA prospects for the 2024 NBA Draft on the G League Ignite. Stay tuned. Big shout out to each and every person that's made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board. The last two episodes, I've talked about Kentucky, I've talked about Duke, and all the talent on their roster and how they could possibly get four, maybe five players selected in the first round if all goes well. But it's the same for the G League Ignite. I think the Ignite has... So many prospects that they could actually have two guys selected in the top five, maybe even two selected in the first two. And let's just talk about that right now. So you have Matas Bazoulis, who is a 6'11", Chicago born and raised wing who has parents that both played professionally in Lithuania. I've seen some scouts talk about him as the best prospects in the 2024 NBA draft, someone that they think could go number one. And then there's Ron Holland, who other people feel like could go number one. So there could be a chance where the first two picks in the 2024 NBA draft could play on the same team. And we haven't seen that happen since Kentucky when Anthony Davis and Michael Kidd Gilchrist went one and two. I was about to say, is it Michael Gilchrist Kidd? But it's Michael Kidd Gilchrist. So let's talk about Bazoulas. 6'11", 195, can handle the ball, can shoot, is a little thin, is a good rim protector, and he has the skill set of, of your modern day wing. Every team is looking for a big wing that can handle, shoot, defend, and he's also a pretty decent playmaker, even though his turnovers outnumber his assist. And then there's Ronald Holland. Holland is the exact opposite of Bazoulas. Holland is a really good athlete, but he has the best motor that I've seen in a while. I mean, Oscar Sheboy has a very impressive motor, but Holland's motor is totally different. Holland just impacts games with energy and athleticism. He rebounds, he runs the floor, he blocks shots, he gets steals. He is someone that can impact the game without taking a single jump shot or without having a play ran for him. There's a little bit of Sean Marion in his game in a sense at just the way that he doesn't need plays or isolations or just to massage the ball to get 20 points and 10 rebounds. Now the concern is, from multiple scouts that I've spoken with, is in a typical year, neither one of these guys would be the number one or number two pick. And that is that is fair. For, for example, with Bazoulas, he, again, has the skill set, but when you watch the McDonald's game, and I know it's, it's, it is an exhibition game, you didn't notice him in the McDonald's game. And then when you look at Holland, there are people that are saying that he shouldn't go number one because he's not the most gifted offensive player. Even though he scored 20 points a game 
in high school, you can't say that he is a great shooter. You can't say that he is like a really gifted, creative offensive player off the bounce. You can't say that he has great size. So he's not like he's 6'11 or 6'10, he's 6'8. So he is somewhat of a tweener in a sense. Even though he does have some wing skills, I think he's more naturally a four. But the first time I saw Ronald Holland, and this was back in, I wanna say it was 2020, and it was a matchup in Dallas where Imani Bates at the time was like the, the guy on the high school level. Imani Bates and Ipsy Prep played against Duncanville High School. It was at the American Airlines Center. It was, it was a pretty big deal of a game. And I went to watch Imani Bates, but the player that I left the most impressed with after this game was Ron Holland. At the time, he was like a 6'6 sophomore, and he had like 18 points and 16 rebounds. I mean, he was just all over the floor. I jokingly say, if he were a car, and you had to figure out what motor that he has, if he were a car, he'd have a V12. I mean, there's, I mean, a V12 engine. Like, he just all over the place, relentless energy, and he just impacts games. And it may not be the traditional way. It may not be with a bunch of jump shots. It may not be dominating the post. He just impacts games with his athleticism, energy, defense, and shot blocking. But again, you don't really see that on a number one pick if it's not like a guy that's a rim protector at 6'11 or 7 foot. Now, Bazoulis, again, I talked about the skill. And I talked about how he did not have like a, a dominant McDonald's game. And there are a lot of people that have said to me that when you watch him play, you know he's talented. You know he's a top five guy, but you don't say that is a number one pick. Now I've had a chance to watch him play, and this was at the Basketball Without Borders All-Star Weekend in Salt Lake City. He won MVP. He was, in my opinion, the best player there but I didn't walk away from that camp thinking, this is the number one pick in the 2024 draft. Even though I knew this draft wasn't considered really strong, I did walk away feeling like this is the guy that is going to be the first person to hear his name called by Adam Silver. So my question to you, the listener is, who would you take number one? Is it Matas Bazoulas? Is it Ron Holland? Or do you think it's someone else? I think Justin Edwards from Kentucky has a really good chance to be number one. I also talked to someone that mentioned that they thought Donovan Klingon has a chance to be the number one pick simply because this is a wide open class. It's a wide open race to be number one. But it is interesting that the Ignite have two guys that could be in the top two, which if you've been following the Ignite, should have surprised you. The Ignite in my opinion, is still a little bit of a hard evaluation for NBA teams and scouts. On one hand, they've had a good track record of having guys drafted, but I feel like Leonard Miller and Jaden Hardy are two guys that were really productive as teenagers, playing in a league which is full of grown men, that their production did not translate to where they were drafted. Now, Jaden Hardy, I think, in a redraft, definitely goes higher than where he went. And I believe Leonard Miller 
it's too early because, I mean, it's only been about a month since since the 2023 draft. But I think when it's all said and done, Leonard Miller is a guy that's going to bring first round value at the minimum. So my question is, how does Leonard Miller average 17 and 10 and he falls to number 33 and Hardy? I believe led the ignite in scoring, even though he wasn't the most efficient, he falls out of the first round while there were other guys that took the college route who weren't nearly as productive, who were drafted higher. So I think that scouts just don't have a fair assessment on the ignite so far, which is weird considering that they have produced four top 10 picks in the last three years. So that is Jalen Green, that is Jonathan Kaminga, that is Dyson Daniels, and Scoot Henderson. So that is four guys selected in the top 10 in three years, and they have a total of 10 guys drafted in the last three years. So there's not a program, whether it's college basketball, a team in Europe that has produced more draft picks than the Ignite, and I still feel like they don't get the due respect. Now, when we return, I wanna talk about who is possibly this year's Leonard Miller or Jaden Hardy? Who can fall in the draft despite their production? But before that, I want to talk about Ethan Almanza. This guy has one of the most incredible international resumes from, from the youth perspective that, that you've ever seen. All right, when we return, I'll talk about Ethan Almanza, and then I'll talk about who could be this year's Leonard Miller or Jaden Hardy, who falls to the second round despite being really productive. But before that, let's talk about FanDuel. FanDuel is the number one sports book, and you can take your first swing at betting Major League Baseball on FanDuel, and you can get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. Again, up to $200, 10 times your amount. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks. And if you bet 20 bucks, you can land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. All you have to do is basically just add $200 and you can spend betting on everything from the money line to the over or under who you think is going to hit the first home run, who's going to hit the first triple. I mean, there's so many things that you can bet on. And it is all on the FanDuel app. It's safe. It's secure. It is easy to use. Plus, you can get your money instantly. So sign up today. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOnNBA. And you can get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel is the official sportsbook partner of Major League Baseball and Locked On. All right, big shout out to each and every person that's made the Locked On NBA Big Bird Podcast your first listen of the day. But if it's your second, if it's your third, it is all right with us. We just thank you for listening. And in the next episode, I'm going to talk about my top 10 prospects in 2024. I did a, a, a video on who I thought could be number one, the candidates, but this is going to be my personal top 10 prospects for 2024 and then the next episode after that will be Richard Stamen. he's going to share his thoughts on the 2024 NBA draft all right I want to talk about Ethan Almanza his international resume from a youth perspective is one of the best ever check this out he was the MVP in 2022 of the under 17 World Cup 
He was the MVP of the under 18s European Championships. Even though Spain did not win the gold medal, Team USA won the gold medal. But Almanza was the MVP. And then he won it again this year at the under 19 World Cup. So he's won the MVP at the 17s, 18s, and 19s. And if you haven't heard of him, He's from Spain, but he's actually spent the last two years, or actually he spent last year playing for overtime elite in the States. He averaged nine points, eight rebounds per game, two assists. And again, last summer when he played for Spain, he became the first player to win the MVP honors in both the 17s and 18s in the same season. He's an interesting prospect because he's similar to Ron Holland and how he impacts and dominates games with his just energy, motor, effort. I think he's a, a pretty good passer. Again, not a traditional guy that, that you would take number one. And there are some people that believe that he could go number one. I think it's a long shot. I think it's a very long shot. I think he has more of a chance to be like Leonard Miller or Jaden Hardy. I think he could act, can average a double-double next year with the ignite and because this game may not be so easy to like put into a box he's a good athlete but i wouldn't say he's a great athlete that you can say he's a rim protector he is someone that can score but it's not like that's going to be his role in the nba he has good touch around the rim but he's not like just a naturally gifted face-up score. He's not much of a floor spacer, not much of a guy that's gonna handle the ball and, and just wow you with, with his tools, but he's just effective with his energy, his, his effort, and his finishing. I think he's gonna be really good as a pick and roll finisher, and, he, and he, again, he's a pretty good passer, but he is someone that I wouldn't be surprised because he doesn't fit in a certain box that he could fall despite being productive again. I think that he will average a double a double this year, but he is someone that I, I've i been watching for a little bit of, for, for a while. He kind of really caught my attention last year. And I just give you a little bit of like my scouting notes on him. I say he's an active energy player, has a really good nose for the basketball. He's really good at crashing the offensive glass. He runs the floor, good feel as a passer. He is effective as a road man, and he has a very quick second jump, like very quick. He can jump twice before most defenders can jump once. And again, he impacts the game with his hustle and his effort. Now, he's, like I said, a good athlete, not a great athlete. And I feel like offensively, he's still a little bit unpolished. Like there are plays, especially in, when he's playing in Europe, you see where, They'll post him up and he's allowed to dribble five, six times with his back to the basket before like, you know, the defenders sink or there's help. And then he's able to throw up kind of like a soft hook shot in a sense. I don't think that you're going to see that with Ignite this year. I don't think, I mean, really in basketball in the States, you don't really see a guy post up and get three, four, five dribbles to get to, to a sweet spots. But I have seen that in FIBA play. So I'm wondering, do you take a guy that high when basically his points are just gonna come off energy and effort? Again, I mean, Ron Holland can end up going number two 
and, and that could be like the concern with him. But I think Ethan Almanza is going to have first round production. But again, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up falling to the second round. All right, the next player that I want to talk about is a guy that I don't even, honestly, I don't even know if he's going to play this year. I talked about it in the last episode. His name is Terry Darlon. And he was the player that I saw at Basketball Without Borders earlier this year that was really, really impressive. I thought he was someone that really made a name for himself. He's coming from the NBA Academy. And even though he is, how can I say this without sounding, without sounding weird? He's, he represents Africa, he's African, but he's the rare African wing. Usually when you think of African prospects, it's usually a big, a shot blocker. You don't really see a lot of wings or guards. In my personal opinion, I think, and I mean, I put it like this, I think what the, what the NBA Academy is doing is great for African prospects. Because I think it's, it's natural for someone to go to Africa and you're looking for talent. The first thing you're looking for is this seven footer that played soccer, because those guys are, again, easier to develop. They are more, rare or harder to find in the States and everybody's looking for the next Hakeem Olajuwon and so on. And so I think that when it comes to like evaluating African prospects or looking to bring them over to the States, people aren't paying attention to the guards or the wings. And I get it because you can get guards and wings pretty much anywhere in the United States, but you can't really find athletic, long seven footers with a, with a soccer background. So I said, I have to say this, Thierry Darlon is not a back to the, not an athletic back to the basket or rim protector. He is a wing that can handle the ball. I think he has really good upside as a shooter. I love his athleticism, not crazy explosive, but I just love the fluidity and how he moves. And I think that he is, Someone that teams are going to really swing for the fences on because of his upside. I just don't know if he's going to play because he suffered a absolutely gruesome injury at Basketball Without Borders back in, in February. I was there in the gym. I didn't see it, but I heard like the gasp of air. I heard the air come out of the gym when he fell. The game was stopped for it seemed like an hour. I mean, it wasn't an hour, but it stopped and you just saw the expressions on people's face. You saw the players, you saw everyone just kind of rushing to make sure he didn't see what was happening. So long story short, he, I believe he dislocated. I mean, it was a clean break of, of his foot and he ended up, you know, getting carried out on a stretcher and they had to cover his foot up with a coat. So it was a pretty gruesome injury. Again, I'm glad I, I didn't see it but I did have a chance to speak with him at Summer League and I told him that I was there and I was rooting for him and I was asking how his recovery is going and he said everything is going good but he hadn't been cleared to play just yet so I don't know if they're going to take it slow with him or if he's going to come back midway through the season. I, I'm not sure but I think that teams are going to be really intrigued with this combination of size, ball handling, shot creation and just his overall development. And every time he's played, I feel like he's shown the flashes that 
NBA teams want out of a modern day wing. All right, when we return, I want to talk about a few players on the Ignite for next year's squad that I think are underrated, are not getting the same attention as other Ignite prospects or even prospects that are playing college basketball. Stay tuned to hear my thoughts on London Johnson and Tyler Smith. All right, last segment. I want to talk about London Johnson. London Johnson, this will be his second year on the Ignite. He decided to skip his senior year of playing high school basketball. Was really young. I mean, he looked young. Like, he looked like a baby. Like, every once in a while you see, you know, guys that are 19 and they, you know, they look 19. But London Johnson, he was born in 04. He's 19. He looks like he could be 16. And last year when I watched him play... I saw the talent. I, I saw the upside and the potential. And I also saw that it was a huge adjustment for him from a physicality standpoint. Now, he looked like he could play. He didn't look lost out there. But just overall, he was just overmatched due to not have. I mean, basically just not having grown man strength. But he's gotten stronger over, over the last year. He got stronger during the season. And in the second half of the season, I thought he played. I thought he played really well. I was at a game against the Texas Legends, and he struggled guarding Grant Riller. But Grant Riller was an exceptional scorer in the G League. He's actually playing well in the TBT also. But it was probably like I would say a six or seven year age difference. But London Johnson is a crafty guard. He's six four, has good size. His bread and butter is his pull-up jumper. Loves to get to his spots. Can elevate over the top of smaller defenders. He's a tough shot maker and tough shot taker. But he is very good at scoring off the dribble. Has a nice floater package. And he's a good shooter off the catch. Not great, but he's a very respectable shooter off the catch. The concern is he needs to get stronger, which I mentioned. needs to definitely get a lot stronger. But that's expected. That comes with age. But... He struggles finishing at the rim. Shot below 50% at the rim. It was 47% to be exact. Some of that, I think, is just due to the just the adjustment of going from playing high school where he was obviously with his size and his skill set was probably able to get to his spots when he wanted. And then in the G League where he just wasn't physically strong enough to finish through contact. So London Johnson is a guy that I haven't been seeing a lot of first-round buzz but I think he could be a first-round pick. And then there's Tyler Smith. Tyler Smith has a very interesting story because Smith was very highly touted before he went to overtime elite. He was ranked as a top 10 player in the 2023 uh, graduation class, according to ESPN. He's someone that I had a chance to watch uh, in Dallas. He's from Houston, but he came up to Dallas and I saw him play some pickup games a couple years ago. He is oozing with talent. And even though I'm a, a fan of Overtime Elite, and I think that the way Dominic Barlow, no relation, played in Summer League and so he just got a, a two-way. Um, Jalen Martin, the way he played, and then the Thompson Twins, I feel like that was a revelation of the talent Plan for OTE. And then I think a guy like John Montero, who was 
you know, the guy that everyone thought was going to be the, the first player from OTE that gets drafted. He doesn't go, he doesn't get drafted last year. I think there's some concerns about his size. I mean, he doesn't pass the eye test. I mean, he's a small guard and he had a crazy buyout situation, but he doesn't get drafted. And I just thought like maybe teams just didn't know what to expect with OTE. Now, the Thompson Twins are just so dang talented and athletic that no matter if you don't respect OTE or you think that it's a sham of a league, that you're not going to pass on those guys. So I said all that to say this. With all the focus and attention on the Thompson Twins, Tyler Smith was totally forgotten. People have totally forgot that he was a top 10 player. I think if he doesn't go to OTE route, and this is not a knock on OTE by any means, right? but I think if he takes the traditional route, plays high school basketball, whether he stays in the Houston area or goes to one of the prep schools, we're talking about him as, you know, being one of the, the better players in this class. But because he's at OTE, he kind of got lost in the shuffle. And Tyler Smith is a 6'10", I think maybe even 6'11", but he is super skilled, can handle the ball, he can shoot. He actually shot like 36% from three. I think he was fourth in OTE and shooting in 21-22. It was down at 30% this year, but I think he's a better shooter than the numbers indicate. Now, I, I do think that he settles for too many jumpers because he has a skill set to just dominate, whether it's taking guys off the dribble. But he's a 6'11 guy that is like your modern day face up four that can spread the floor. He can put the ball on the floor. He can block shots. I think there's some Chris Bosh in his game, not just because he's left-handed, but I think that there is some modern day Chris Bosh. Now, Chris Bosh didn't shoot a lot of threes because again, that was the era that he played in where, where you know, there, the stretch four was like Dirk and what, Ryan Anderson or whatever. It wasn't a lot of stretch fours, but I think if Bosch played in today's NBA, he'd be a really good three-point shooter and he'd be a matchup nightmare as, as a face-up four or five that can put the ball on the floor, knock down mid-range jumpers and defend. That's what I see in Tyler Smith. That is exactly what I see in Tyler Smith. Again, he's 6'11", he's skilled, has some wing skills, can handle the ball, he's fluid, he's a lefty, he can run the floor, he can knock down open shots. But again, he just has a tendency to settle for jumpers. Last year with Overtime Elite, he took 178 two-point field goals and 123s. I think if that number was a little bit more on, I think if he took more twos, well, he did take more twos and threes, but I think if the number of threes went down a little bit and he was a, a lot more aggressive at using his athleticism and his just tremendous God-given talent to attack the rim, I think he would... And I think he's already good, but I just think his numbers would have been a little bit more efficient. But overall, he averaged 18 points, eight rebounds, two steals at 1.3 blocks per game. And I mean, he was productive, but we're talking about a guy that you probably haven't even heard of. That was a consensus top 10 player in his class, goes to OTE and nobody's talking about him. And I think Tyler Smith could be one of the biggest sleepers in this draft class, but I want to know how does he fit with OTE with all the talent and overlapping skill sets. We know Matas is going to play. 
we know Holland is going to play. And then I wonder, like, how is the minutes distribution going to be for Tyler Smith or Ethan or even Dink Pate? Dink Pate is a guy that he won't be in the 24 draft, but he's a big point guard that I think we're going to be talking a lot about this year for the 2025 draft. But again, my concern is how is Jason Hart going to manage all of these minutes? And they have a tremendous amount of talent. And then, and I'm assuming that Darlon is is not going to play, or they're going to bring him along slowly. But anyway, that wraps up this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. I share my thoughts on the G League Ignite and their prospects. Answer in the comments if you're on YouTube. Who would you take number one between Matas and Ron Holland? All right. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow. In the next episode, I'm going to give my top ten prospects for 2024 i mean it's way too early be sure to tune in like subscribe share once again i am out